Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. You are our strength, our rock, our mighty fortress and deliverer. You are our shield and the horn of our salvation. We call to you who is worthy of praise and honor and glory. Father, many of our hearts are heavy this morning as we think about the families grieving in Connecticut. Our hearts are broken over the loss of those precious children and caring adults whose lives were shamelessly taken this past week. Father, we pray for those families. We pray that you are their ever-present help in time of need. We pray that they draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that they may receive mercy and find grace in their time of need. Father, this world needs your gospel. People need to hear about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray in the midst of this tragedy, you will turn people back to yourself. Let them confess their sins to you while you may be found, so they may find mercy. Father, we pray for pastors this morning as they address a grieving nation. We particularly pray for pastors in in Newtown, Connecticut. We pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they may speak with wisdom and grace. Let them boldly declare the hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for the leaders of our country. We pray that you give them wisdom in their response to this tragedy. We pray for our president. Give him the words of grace to speak to a hurting people. Father, this tragedy can easily create division in our nation. We pray that you will protect the witness of your people. Make your name great in America. Father, we also look elsewhere. We also pray for the children refugees in Syria. We pray that you protect them from the war zones and provide them with their daily needs. We pray for the Christians among the refugees. Use them as beacons of light to call them out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Father, we now turn to our own hearts. We pray that you may that you may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God, having the lights of our eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope in which we've been called, what are the riches of our glorious, your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe, according to the work of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And you put all things under his feet and gave him, the head, gave him as the head over all things, including the church, which is the body, the fullness of you who fills all in all. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Use your word to build up your people. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, yesterday uh, was my wife's birthday. Um, I I am so incredibly thankful uh, for my wife. Uh, She's truly a a gift uh, from the Lord. Um, You know, I've learned a lot and experienced a a lot of things because I was married to Ellen. Um, One of the things that Ellen has introduced me to uh, as a man are musicals. I never saw a musical or wanted to see a musical uh, before I met my wife. Uh, but one of the things that ha- ha- happens when you, when you watch a musical is that the, 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 the people who are running the lights, they let you know what you should watch, right? There's, there's, a, there's a spotlight on the main character uh, or the main scene, uh, what's happening. So very, very, very simply, uh, I, I hope and pray that I will help be one of those spotlights, the spotlight, the mercy of our Lord in this text. I think there's much we can learn and see about how God has shown us mercy 
uh, from the passage of Scripture uh, this morning. So if you would, please turn to Luke uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 57. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. If you want to follow along on um, the Bibles provided for you, it's going to be found on page 724, 724. Uh, We'll be studying uh, John the Baptist uh, this morning and his birth, who served truly as a spotlight for the Lord Jesus. He did not want the light to shine on himself, but rather he turned the spotlight on the Lord Christ. I pray that I will be able to do the the same thing uh, this morning. So the first point, if you want to follow your outline, is the Lord shows his mercy. The Lord shows his mercy in giving his word. The Lord shows His mercy in giving His Word. Look with me in in verses 57 and 58. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. See, the Lord is not silent. He speaks to His people. And I wonder, how often do we as a people take for granted that God actually speaks? See, we see here that Elizabeth probably remained in seclusion during her pregnancy and did not reveal to her neighbors and family that she was with child. We can see that from the text when it says, when they heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, they, the families and neighbors, shared her joy. What we see here is God kept his promise to Zechariah, as we looked at last week. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 13, what we see is it says, it says this, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And you will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. See, even in, in the birth of the child, how the family responded God's word was fulfilled. God gave a child to Zechariah's barren, older wife, and her neighbors and relatives shared in the joy of his birth. God kept his promise, and God always keeps his promise. I'm going to tell you that for years. As your pastor, I pray, I tell you that for years. God always keeps his word. Every time we see it, we want to rejoice in it. We do not deserve the word of the Lord, but he gives it to us graciously. And when he gives it, he keeps it. So what is your attitude towards towards the word of the Lord? Do you cherish it? Do you marvel that the creator of the universe actually speaks to us? Last week uh, during Sunday school, my wife was was teaching uh, her her kindergarten through second grade class. and, And one of the children were handling the Bible a little rough. And my wife said, well, just be careful. That, that, that's, that's, the, that's God's word. And the, eye, the child's eyes got real big and goes, God's words are in here? Yes, they are. When's the last time you looked at the Bible and your eyes got real big and you said, God's words are in here? Sometimes we need to approach the word like a child. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 say this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? 
Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things so that they came to the, into being, declares the Lord? Now listen, this is what I esteem. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If you want to receive favor from God, be humble and tremble at his word. You know, I've tried this practice in my own life. I, I, t- I tend to read a lot of books about the Christian faith. And for a long time, every time I, I was reading these books, I would get a, they would quote a passage of Scripture, and I would just skip it because I wanted to follow the author's train of thought. And the Lord just convicted me and said, hey, Dave, by not reading my word when you read these books, what you're actually caring about, you're caring more about the opinions of man than you are about the word of God. So in my own life, I try to make sure every time I see the word to stop to digest, to feed on it. We get so repetitive, right? This Christmas season, how many times have you heard the Christmas story, whether walking through the the journey to Bethlehem or uh, a live nativity scene? We hear it all the time. We need to understand this is the word of God. We want to tremble at his word. The second point we see here in the text is the Lord shows his mercy in giving a name. The Lord shows his mercy in in giving a name. Look down at verses 59 and following. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now, the custom was a male child was either named after the father or the grandfather. The naming of a child was a very big deal. We see from the text here that the crowd had already decided on a name that says they were going to name him. Literally, they were wishing to name him after his father, Zechariah. But we know earlier from the angel uh, Gabriel that the boy was to be given the name John. Now, we do not know if, if Elizabeth knew this information or how she came about uh, this information. She could have been, it could have been revealed to her by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it simply could have been told to her by her husband. Uh, you know, her husband may have communicated during the time of the pregnancy some way what the name of the child should be. Well, regardless of how Elizabeth knew, what we, we can tell from the text is that the crowd marveled. They were astonished. Look at verse 64. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth, his his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. Throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard about this wondered about it, saying, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So the neighbors and eventually all the hill country of Judea were amazed at the naming of John and were asking, what then is this child going to be? See, the people rightly understood that when the Lord names a child, the child is going to be special. That was, that was seen throughout the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. And the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over and against his kingsmen. And Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14, a verse we'll hear often this Christmas season. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. See, by the naming of John, God was taking responsibility for John, for his life and his special calling. He was going to be known as the prophet of the Most High. He was going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. He will be the one that comes and prepares the way of the Lord. God's naming of John shows John and us mercy. God loves to name his people. He gave Jacob the name Israel to identify his special people. He gave Emmanuel, God with us, to the Messiah. And believe it or not, he actually gives you a name. God has shown you mercy by giving you a name. Now I'm going to go to Revelation here, and I want you to stay with me, because this is beautiful. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him, the one who conquers, a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. God gives a white stone with a new name to everyone who conquers. To everyone who perseveres in their faith in Jesus Christ will get a new name on a white stone. Now that white stone was commonly associated with a vote of acquittal, a a not guilty verdict. The white stone is to symbolize cleanness cleanness and righteousness. So in Revelation 8-9 refers to clothes of the saints. The clothes of the saints are fine linen. They are bright and clean, representing their righteous acts. So the one who has a new name is also declared righteous by God, declared not guilty. And that stone was actually thought to be a ticket, to be a ticket to the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of time. Now that new name written on the stone is God's own name. So the stone that you get is God's own name. Listen to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. The one who conquers, I will give him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own name. See, all these names that I just read is referring to what the name of God given to his people. At the end, Revelation chapter 22 3 and 4. No longer will there be anything accursed, right? As far as the curse is found, if we sing the third verse of Joy to the World, the curse is reversed at the end. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will, be, will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name, the name of the Lord, will be on their foreheads. The Lord shows His mercy to us by giving us His name. The name of the King of kings and the Lord Lord of lords will be given to us as a sign that we have overcome this world and we will secure our seat at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. The giving of that name starts right here in this morning's passage. See, God gave a name to John as the forerunner to the Messiah, the one who's going to come and rescue us. We should love that the Lord shows His mercy in giving a name. Has the Lord given you a new name? Have you been identified with the name of Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 4 verse 12 say this, And there is no salvation 
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you are here and you have never trusted in the name of Jesus Christ, please do so today. For there is hope in no one else. And if there's no, no salvation and no hope, there's also no invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of time. Well, the third thing I'll, I'll move through quickly for the sake of time. The Lord shows His mercy in giving silence. The, mo- the Lord shows His mercy in giving silence. Well, let's go back and look at verses 62 through 64 briefly. Then they made signs to the Father to find out what He would look, what He would like to name the child. Now, we, we, we find out from earlier that Zechariah was mute, right? God silenced him. But we also see here is that Zechariah was probably also deaf. He couldn't hear what Elizabeth said that when, when he said he, he should be called John. So he was deaf and mute. So he asked for a writing tablet. And notice what he says. Zechariah writes this, His name is John. He doesn't write his name will be John. It says his name is John. That shows that Zechariah finally believes in the promise that God gave him through the angel. Not only in the prophecy that that he would give birth to a son, but the prophecy that everything that comes after it, of the Messiah coming to rescue his people. We know that he believed. For even in verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose and began to speak, praising God. Now, can I just make a point briefly? God disciplined Zechariah for his unbelief. And instead of having Zechariah's heart hardened, his heart was softened. And he he went from unbelief to belief in God. When God disciplines you, the purpose of God's discipline in you is that you would turn from unbelief to trusting in Him. Discipline is mercy. Can you imagine Zechariah silent and deaf for nine months? Think about how much of a blessing it was for him to think about that promise again and again and again and again. Beloved, can I just encourage you, you need more silence in your life. So much in this world, whether it's TV or, or radio or text messages or phone calls, we are barraged with noise. Sometimes what we need is to, to kind of pull back and silent ourselves so that we can hear from the Lord. Because we don't like silence, do we? <laughs> right? Even when we're, we're at church, we have silence at church, and everyone's like, is he going to say something? Right? So we, we don't like silence in our culture, but beloved, we need it to grow in Christ. Well, the, the fourth point, the Lord shows his mercy in giving a horn of salvation. The Lord shows his mercy in giving a horn of salvation. So the crowd realized the hand was upon this child, as did Zechariah, his father. But notice that in in the prophecy, Zechariah doesn't start talking about his son. Look back at verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Elizabeth earlier in the chapter. And he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said with his prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers 
and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham and to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, Zechariah could have started focusing on his own child, this promised child, but he didn't. He focused on the Messiah. Notice even, even, even how he starts. He starts in the past tense. He says, praise be to the Lord because he has come and has redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now the mission was not yet completed, was it? Jesus had not yet died on the cross. He had not been raised from the dead. But Zechariah was completely confident that once the mission began, the mission would end. Much like D-Day on the invasion of Normandy. It was the beginning of the end of World War II. The incarnation was the beginning of the end of the works of the devil. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, meaning he was born flesh and blood as a baby, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And the devil and deliver all those who fear through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, the reason why we rejoice this Christmas season is because the mission has begun. The end of the devil is on. Because God has given John a name, the, prepare, the, the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to come. He's been raised up as a horn of salvation. Now, the horn of salvation in the Old Testament was always referring to God. Listen to Psalm 18:2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. See, now the horn of salvation was always a symbol of strength and power. Now, we have a hard time maybe understanding in our culture because we're not around a lot of strong oxes and bulls who have these horns. In, in Pamplona, Spain, during the San Fermin Festival, every July, a group of daring and intelligent individuals participate in the running of the bulls. Uh, these brave and wise individuals uh, willingly stand in the middle of the road, middle of the street, when a group of bulls are released to chase them down the streets of Pamplona. These animals uh, are massive, weighing almost 3,000 pounds and run an average speed of 15 miles an hour. Now, when these bulls are released, there's really only one thing to do. To run, <laughs> right? To run as fast as humanly possible to escape these bulls. Because no one can stand against their size and the strength of their horns. See, no enemies will be able to stand against the strength of the horn of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Zechariah was so confident, and that's why we can be confident today, because we have Christ. He is faithful to his covenant. He will deliver us from all our enemies. And as much as we should give confidence, it should also cause us to tremble. God is holy and righteous, and no one can stand against him. This is why we all need salvation. We are unholy and depraved. We are in desperate need of of a Savior. Uh, this past Thursday, um, uh, a gunman entered uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School and did the unthinkable. 
I'm not sure about you, but when I heard the news, my stomach just sank. Uh, I was grieving. It was awful. Uh, And it only appears to be worse as more information is, is released. So as a Christian, how do we respond to something like this? First, I would just encourage you to pray for the families who lost loved ones, as well as for the survivors. Pray that God would give you a heart to empathize with people who are suffering. Second, be reminded that one day God will administer His perfect justice. We are going to be unsatisfied with justice now. Answers will never seem um, good enough for us. But one day, one day, beloved, God will put all things right. He will bring perfect justice. He will make all wrongs right. See, in a tragedy like this, it makes our hearts scream, Justice! Justice! And beloved, God will bring it. God will bring it. Thirdly, I would say we need to be reminded of our own need for a Savior. We live in a depraved culture, and we all need a Savior. The events of this past week is another example. There are signs that something is wrong with our world, and that something's wrong is sin. We are all sinners. Sin against God will be punished. So allow the, the, the horrific events that happened this past Thursday to be a catalyst for your own soul that you want to put to death the sin in your own life. Listen to Romans eight twelve. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to our sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to sinful nature, you will die. But if the Spirit If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, these questions that we all have, why did something like this happen? You know, they've been pressed upon every culture. Jesus' day was no different. A horrific uh, massacre happened in Jesus' day, and this is how he responded in Luke chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, a mad a slaughter that Pilate did against uh, the Jews. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I encourage you, like the Lord Jesus did to the people who followed him, to repent so that you will not likewise perish. We know our world is depraved, and we know that we are depraved. And that is why the text this morning is so important to us. We have a horn of salvation in the Lord Jesus to rescue us from our depravity. Jesus lived and died to destroy the works of the devil, the works that we saw just this past week. He destroyed death through the resurrection of the dead, that all who would turn to trust him as their horn of salvation, he would save. And he will enable you to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all your days. The Lord shows us mercy in giving us a horn of salvation. Let us trust that. Well, lastly, 
The Lord shows his mercy in giving a mission. The Lord shows his mercy in giving a mission. Verse 76, Zechariah turns back to speaking to of John, his child. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from the heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in Israel. See, God had a special purpose for John. He had a special mission. His mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And, and how does he do that? How does he prepare the way for the Messiah? John gives people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, John would bring many people back to the Lord. He'd help turn fathers back to their children, the disobedience, the wisdom of the righteous. See, God gave John a unique mission. And beloved, God has given us the same mission. Not to prepare the way of the Messiah like John did in a grand way, but he's given us the responsibility to share the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. See, our culture believes there are many ways to be saved. But all those ways of salvation are not through the forgiveness of sins. The only way to have your sins forgiven is to have someone else pay the penalty for your sins. And that is exactly what we celebrate this Christmas. We celebrate the birth of our Savior to come and die on our behalf. He came to us who were living in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the path of peace. Jesus is our peace. He is our light. He came into our darkness so that we could tell others about his light. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is, 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 is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and following. It says, But you are a chosen uh, nation, a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession. To do what? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Our job is to tell others about this light. On August 5th, 2012, 33 Chilean miners were trapped 2,230 feet underneath the earth's surface when the roof of their mine collapsed. They were trapped underground for 69 days. They were in darkness. They were trapped. There was no way out. There was nothing they could do, just surrounded by darkness. See, and on the surface, there were people working tirelessly to rescue these miners. And in two and a half months, these men finally succeeded in their rescue mission. The miners were brought out of darkness to the light. Now, the rescuers did not create the light. They just helped these miners find the light. And beloved, God has called you to be a rescuer. You have not created the light You have to help people who are lost in darkness find the light. There is salvation in no other way. That's our mission. If we're not doing that as a church, beloved, we should close our doors. Our mission is to help people who are in darkness come to the light. 
1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The light has come. Will you be a witness of that light? Will you help Park Baptist Church be a spotlight shining on the Lord Jesus Christ that people who are in darkness may come to know this light? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, We pray that we will be um, a people who look to the light and help others find it. God, help us uh, live with the confidence that we have been saved by the strength of our horn of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.